CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. We need to roll back the state. We spy on all of our own citizens. Our prisons are flooded with nonviolent drug offenders. If you want to know who America's next enemy is, Look at who we're funding right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of government being way too big. Welcome to a brand new episode of Part of the Problem. I'm very excited for today's show. Before we get started, I do want to let you know, probably, okay, by the time this is out, the Mises Caucus event has already happened, but I will be at the Funny Bone in Albany, uh, at Zany's in Chicago, um, at Side Splitters in Tampa, a bunch of stuff coming up, comicdavesmith.com for all those dates, Robbie the Fire Bernstein coming with me on all of them, a lot of cool stuff coming up, so go uh, go check it out there. All right. Very excited uh, to have with me as my guest on today's show, Jose Gallison. I've been on uh, your podcast several times, um, which I really love. No Way Jose. We've had a lot of great conversations from things about, um, you know, Rothbard to family and meaning and purpose and a lot of different topics. Uh, So I'm very happy that this is the first time you're on this show. Everybody definitely go check out Jose. He's got a bunch of great work out there. Today's show, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the news. Tomorrow, me and Rob are going to record a whole podcast about Trump being indicted and the petrodollar falling apart and all that stuff. But today we want to talk about something that's not in the news exactly, although there is more interest that's been developed in it uh, lately. But this is a topic um, that's really something very interesting, um, which is the Oklahoma City bombing that happened back in 1995. Uh, Jose, you've become very interested in this topic. You did a whole series on it on your show. You uh, brought it up when you were on Tim Pool's show. Um, And recently it's been getting a lot of attention. There was the CNN piece uh, about what really happened there, which was kind of out of left field in a way. So that's what the topic of today's show is going to be. Well, first off, Jose, thank you so much for coming on. It's good to to see you, bro. Oh uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. Uh, this is really kind of pretty surreal for me because I did. You kind of are what sucked me into this, got started me down this thing. I would suggest people go. You, you kind of you'll get the sentiment I'm getting at if you go check out my Rothbard episode we did because I was fanboying then and now it's come back full circle and here we are. Uh, and you did bring up the uh, current events aspect, but I think after we talk about this Oklahoma City story, I think you'll realize why it's still relevant to this day beyond the whole news cycle thing and how it informs. Uh, you know stuff today and that there are basically still people in positions of power as is the nature of the deep state uh that are involved in this story and uh 
yeah, so this is, I think it's a story that still matters to this day very much. Even if you take away the actress part, it kind of allows you to see the mechanisms of the deep state and uh, kind of let you identify those patterns and see how they're operating today with things like January 6th. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention that anymore, so sorry. You can edit that out later, Brian. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the Michigan kidnapping, all sorts of stuff, all, a lot of stuff going on with uh, the Trump indictment, um, all sorts of stuff. It, it informs everything, uh, I think, once you start kind of seeing it. There's, and there's so many different actors in the story. It, it's such a wide web. I've done over 10 hours on the topic with the great Richard Booth, who uh, is basically the crypt keeper of the OKC archive for the Libertarian Institute. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and in a lot of ways, one of the important takeaways from this story is that I think a lot of people kind of feel, and understandably so because of everything that's happened with COVID and Trump and all of the insanity over the last few years, they almost feel like this stuff just started, you know, like, oh, America was going so good until the last few years when this all became a, a huge issue. And you're like, well, actually, this has been going on for quite a while. Um, let me ask you before we get into the kind of going through what happened back in 1995, what obviously you just kind of gave us a little bit of an indicator, but what got you so interested in this story? Uh, really, it was as simple as a little like three minute video I saw online. There's this guy, uh, Crack Connoisseur, at Crack Connoisseur on Twitter. Uh, he's known as Jinx is his name. Uh, he's kind of like a schizoid conspiracy uh, poster, but he puts out little videos and uh, he put out one on Terrence Eakey and it was a little three minute video. It just perfectly hit. It was a little edit is what they call him on Twitter, a little video with music and kind of little blurbs, newspaper, just pictures, etc. And it just it told the story and you know showed the all the different aspects real quick and you're just like whoa and 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 like that like sucked me into looking into terrence yiki and then terrence yiki is what sucked me into okc uh and that's kind of why i like pushed the yiki aspect and now i'm kind of pushing another person who got suicided uh kenneth trenadu uh and i actually literally just wrote a piece on that dropped on a Substack that i just made exclusive just for that purpose just so i could try to gin up some energy for that as well I think these are both important stories and these type of things like the you know people people you know honest people you know suffering at the hands of the state in this manner I think it kind of tugs at people's heartstrings speaks to us on a deep human level and I think this kind of sucks people into the story especially like normies kind of stuff yeah. I mean like I, like you said I've done I, I said earlier I've done over 10 hours on the topic but that's more for the purpose of someone who's already gone interested like but like first like these like specially specifically Kenneth trying to do uh, Terrence Hickey, those characters, if you can tell the story to someone, even if it's in a quick three minute little video, I think that is what can draw people in and really suck them into it. And like you mentioned with the idea of um, uh, kind of like uh, the current events type stuff, and it's like the, we have the weaponization committee going. Oh, no. Th what I meant to say is you uh, with like uh, the aspect of, uh, oh, they just started doing this stuff. No, like I think that is important point to make to people, especially in light of the like the weaponization committee stuff going on right now. If you've been paying attention to that, I think that really ties into it because, like you said, there are people today that are like, "Oh yeah, we got to focus on this." It becomes this left-right thing, this uh, this modern-day thing. Like, look how weaponized they become now. And it's like, no, they've been weaponized from the beginning. And this yeah. is a perfect example, something from '95 that's still like there are people still alive today that can remember this, that can relate to it. So I, I, that's why I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I completely agree. And let's, so we'll get into that stuff with like the, the incredibly shady suicide, suicides that suicides that uh, are, are involved in this story for people who don't know. Um, I think you're about my age. I'm, I'm about to be 40. How old are you? Uh, you're eight years older than me. <laughs> okay. Eight years older. No, I'm saying we're all 
but yeah. we're both in our 30s yeah as of right now okay er, so early whatever. 30s or late 30s but yeah <laughs> all right we're gonna do a show no need to be a dick about this whatever we're all in our 30s that's yeah. the point um but for guys our age maybe you're you're a bit younger and that is a substantial difference especially with this story but for it it in some ways, the Oklahoma City bomb, the Oklahoma City bombing, has kind of been um, overshadowed because a lot of things happened after it, specifically 9/11. Um, but if back at the time, it's hard to overstate what a big deal this was. I remember it very well. So this happened on April 19th, 1995. I was uh, my birthday is April 20th. So I, this was the day before my birthday, I guess I was 12 years old or whatever. It was just one of those things that it was like, well, way to fuck up my birthday, but whatever. Uh, but, but I do remember at the time how serious this was. It was at the time what was dubbed, and I know there's some people who will question this, but it was dubbed the biggest uh, terrorist attack, a uh, domestic terrorist attack in American history. And it was a horrific event. Basically, there was a, uh, a state building in Oklahoma City that was blown up. Uh, something over 160 people died in it. The most um, the worst aspect of it was that there was a nursery in the building that got blown up. Like babies died. It was horrible. Hundreds of people were wounded. This was a major uh, terrorist attack. Um, the official story shifted a bit. But it became that, uh, okay, Timothy McVeigh and his one co-conspirator, who was a couple states away, they did this. Um, he was a right-wing militia guy, and that was basically the lesson we were to learn from all of this was how dangerous the right-wing militias are. He was uh, tried and convicted and ultimately sentenced to death and executed. Uh, I believe his co-conspirator got life or something like that yes, in, in still, prison. Yep. He's still in right. like a supermax right now, yeah. Right. So that was that was basically the official story of what happened. Um, it was taken in a lot of ways as like a justification for why the you know, why right wing extremism was such a big problem in this country, which for people today probably sounds like a somewhat familiar narrative. The problem is that when you examine this and not even like a deep dive into it, if you scratch the surface on this, you realize how much the, the official narrative is bullshit. Like I'm, and, and by the way, it's, it's funny when you first proposed, we do this episode, I, I had mentioned to you that I did an episode with Scott Horton years ago, might've been back in like 2015, 2016 on this topic, but as it's getting more interest, just so people know, I'm an unapologetic, uh, OKC truther. Like I'm just this now I'm not, there are some like with all of these things, there are some bullshit conspiracies that are not right. But the, the official story is ob, transparently not accurate and there's a lot more to it. So what, uh, wherever you want to take it from there, where, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think if we're talking about like, especially from a, a, a service level, what most people know, the biggest aspect is probably John Doe too. Uh, that, that's the, this is where you immediately can tell it's nonsense is a John Doe two aspect is, uh, there was over 20 witnesses, uh, eyewitnesses on the day of, uh, the bombing, uh, before and after that saw, uh, Timothy McVeigh with another individual. There are composite sp sketches out there. The police have made. Um, and you know, you can look them up on Google really easily pops right up. This is probably one of the most notable things about the Oklahoma city bombing and, 
And essentially, we had the, like basically the nation's largest manhunt for a couple months. Uh, and it's it's funny. In uh, it was in April, uh, so we had April nineteenth, and from April to like April nineteenth, the start biggest manhunt look, looking for this John Doe two guy. And then uh, in April, May, and then May, there was an internal FBI memos where they said they want to put all leads uh, or whatever into abeyance. Uh, for uh, John Doe 2, which abeyance is just a fancy law enforcement term for essentially don't pursue him. So behind the scenes, in, in a, a month later, after doing the biggest manhunt, they decide, hey, we're not doing it, hush hush, but we're not telling the public. And then the following month, June, they they officially they they said their official narrative becomes, oh, there was no John Doe 2. Which the irony is, the same uh, witnesses, a lot of the same witnesses they use to uphold their case for McVeigh existing. And, you know, being the uh, main conspirator, we're also the same exact people who are saying there was another individual. So they're essentially saying, yes, we find you credible enough to say that Timothy McVeigh existed and he he was him. You identified him. But you imagine this other guy. This guy never existed. And, and I mean, this even gets to the point to where they get in court. And uh, Merrick Garland, uh, funny enough, was the one of the main guys in the pro- in the prosecution against Timothy McVeigh. And uh, this is actually, I think, something that came. I want to say it came from. Uh, some of the aspects is no, actually, that's a different thing. Now I'm thinking about it. Sorry, don't mean to go down that. Uh, there's so many different drabble holes. I was thinking of something else. But anyways, Merrick Garland, uh, when he was questioning one of the people, he was uh, you know, asking them to, I forget the stupid court term, where he was trying to get them to, uh, like when they were questioning the witness, the defense, they were bringing up other conspirators. And he was trying to get them to, uh, God, I'm having such a brain fart of the term, where essentially he was trying to strike it down. Being like, right. no, don't you don't do it. I, God, I feel so dumb. I can't think of the term. I'll think of it <laughs> two seconds from now. It's a very simple term, but I feel dumb for not being able to think of it. But he was clearly, it was very obvious the prosecution did not want them to pursue the John, do- John Doe 2 aspect. They were very clearly trying to hone it in. So, I mean, there goes our current AG, Merrick Garland, being the one right. that is essentially trying to, is uh, honing it in. So, and I believe there are things on record later where he said stuff along the lines of knowing there was a John Doe 2 and stuff like that. So, you know, our current attorney general was aware of the nonsense and still pursuing it. Uh, and, you know, there's likely John Doe 2 is probably still out there or, you know, if he died or whatever, he never received justice. So, I mean, that's the first aspect. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, let me yeah. just to, to jump on that. Where there's some things that are very interesting about this. And one of them is that, again, I think to some degree this has been forgotten not so much for people like my age, but for the younger generation, I'm sure this was almost like it, it just after 9-11, it was almost like this wasn't that big of a thing. You know, this was they they were trying to create this before Islamic extremist terrorism was the big boogeyman to justify the growth of the state. This was the big boogeyman, right wing militia, you know, whatever. This was the big thing. And the, the there's a lot of reasons for that that we could kind of get into. But for people who do remember it, and for those of you who don't take my word for it, this is what's so interesting. The sketch artist drawing of Timothy McVeigh was like the poster of this incident. And it was an incredible sketch artist drawing. Like it's, you know, I I don't know for people who are a little like removed from it, you go, that's really an incredible thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever like, I mean, I don't know. I've had had people who I saw one time who like committed a crime or something like that. And I've never tried to give a sketch artist a a description of them, but I'd always like, imagine like if I could, I'd be like, I don't know. 
he was a dude, you know, like he was fucking, yeah. Like, I don't know. He's kind of like had some eyebrows and a face, but they came up with this, this sketch that really was like, went was all over the news. That was Timothy McVeigh. Clearly it was him. Clearly all of these people had seen this guy. And that was uh, even the one that you just pulled up there. Brian was like one of the initial ones. They got it even more like down pack than that. And every single one of the witnesses, the over 20 witnesses, all said there was a second guy, too. And then there's a huge manhunt for this second guy. And then at a certain point, they just go that they all hallucinated that that all <laughs> none of that was right. But the first guy, Timothy McVeigh, they nailed to a T. I mean, like they described him to the point where you if you had just seen this sketch and then saw the guy, you'd have been like, that was the guy. That was the guy from the sketch. But then the second guy never even existed. That's just not even a thing. And just completely called this off. And again, at the time, this was the biggest terrorist attack, the domestic terrorist attack in American history, as they say, babies were murdered. And you're like, wait, so you're just letting this guy go? Like, there's not even going to be any. And it was just like, for whatever reason, we can get into what the reasons were. It was like, yes, that's what we're doing. We're blaming this all on this one guy, Timothy McVeigh. That alone, like, makes this thing a huge scandal. Mm-hmm. Another another big scandal is the fact that the ATF wasn't there in the building that day, but uh, for some reason, no one let the kids know or anyone else. Uh, I believe there's a social security office as well, so I'd assume there's probably a bunch of elderly people. Uh, but yeah, no one uh, no one chose to let them know. Uh, there also was, prior to the bombing, I want to say it was something like 8 in the morning, there was like bomb sniffer dogs that were seen at the federal courthouse mm-hmm. and at the, uh, and at the uh, Murrah building, which was the building that was blown up. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the according to a witness that was uh, or one of the people that was caught on camera by some news reporter, I can't remember the specific, uh, you know, which one it is. But you can actually if anyone wants to know, hit me up or hit up uh, Richard Booth, uh, Booth underscore OKC on Twitter. I'll go hit him up. He'll be able to provide you with I believe there's a, the recording of it where there was someone saying that uh, they one of the people that was looking for their wife in the wreckage uh, or just kind of trying to find them. And that they were telling the uh, reporter that they had talked to an ATF agent there and the ATF agent had told them they all got a beeper to not come in that day. Their official narrative later became that they had a uh, all night surveillance mission, which uh, Richard Booth, I think, has a, a good theory that he thinks that was probably connected to the, uh, right. the bomb sniffer dogs the night before. So it's like their cover was also kind of, uh, you know, kind of implicates them to some extent, possibly. Um, so, yeah, it's a. It is a, a whole boondoggle, this uh, this whole mess. Uh, there is a – it really is – and it's funny people bring up like about this being relevant today. I've gotten some comments uh, you know, uh, about people like, why does this even matter? And it's like, well, this is the nature of these things. Like these events happen, big events, and we don't really get the real story to a lot of times decades later. If anything, this is almost you know sooner on schedule than most major events like this. And so that's what I actually think is kind of interesting because we're in a spot – where we have, if you dig into the story, I suggest people go check out my series. There's plenty of other resources that I can suggest for people as well. But like, dig into it and you'll see how much is there and how damning this is and how many different agencies involved and people in power involved. And yeah, it, it's it's like it's a story that it's just like waiting to blow up if it can kind of just 
push past this threshold threshold. And it's like, if you look at other things in the past, things like, I don't know, MK ultra or other things that have become declassified. It seems to, it seems to be my opinion. It seems to take longer, but I don't know if it's because yeah. we're in the spot, this like information age to where things are moving quicker than now, you know, things are spreading to where they have to start releasing information quicker. And so I just think we should lean into that and move even further. And like, people are like, Oh my God, we have these things, current things today. It's like, okay, but this informs the things of today. And if you can nail this, you can nail, you can get, uh, you can get people to buy into that the the Michigan governor kidnapping plot was complete nonsense or, right. or the January 6th is complete nonsense because people are like, oh, what do you do? You think there were feds involved in this? Like, yes, look at this story. The documents are there. The sources are there. Look at it. It's obvious. Like, like if you look at the story, like they were infiltrated. There were ATF informants. There was FBI things. There were CIA connections. It is insane when you start digging. And this isn't like kook stuff. This is legit stuff. Like we try to straight... Uh, Booth is uh, Richard Booth, who's my expert in the story. We've been very good about straying away from the kook stuff. I mean, there are kook things. Uh, you know, I mean, we can go into some of the kook stuff, but like, I, I, I highly suggest people, you know, go check out Booth stuff. It, it's it's great. But go on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think it's like the the importance of it is like that, as you said, that it informs what's going on today, particularly when so many of the players are the same players who are involved in today. And also, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I think that there's this big misconception, not so much in like our camp of like the hardcore people who are like our hardcore, you know, like guys kind of know what's up to some degree, at least. But there is a, a bigger perception that like, you know, the media used to be nonpartisan and now all of a sudden they're just in, you know, they're in the game of, you know, whatever activism, you know, MSNBC used to be a, a real news channel and now they're just like, Oh, they're just a shill for the Democrats. And you realize a lot of this divide, it's not about left or right. It's not about, it's not anything that just happened. It's just that the corruption bubbled over to the top so much that now they feel like they have to play this role. But really, even back then, when people knew, so many people involved knew that like on the biggest story of the day where children were murdered, like the highest stakes imaginable, they knew the official story was bullshit and they still covered it up. And that's the fact that, you know, like now, by the way, as you pointed out, there are these kind of like, you know, there's kooky conspiracies that came out. There's also like, I kind of understand where I get where after people see Cheney and Bush manipulate 9-11 and they manipulate it to get the goals that they wanted from the time of the project for a new American century. Like they wanted to overthrow Saddam Hussein and then 9-11 happens and then they use that to overthrow Saddam Hussein. And you go, so that means they must have planned it. And like, I understand thinking that it doesn't necessarily mean that, but what it does mean is that they exploited this. And it does, it does seem like with the Oklahoma city bombing that there was this like, you know, whether or not they, they're say like the, uh, uh, um, Timothy McVeigh's partner was like, Oh, we're protecting this guy because he was our guy. That's not necessarily the case. It could just be that they were like, well, we got to get someone for this and we got Timothy McVeigh and it'll make our case weaker if we admit 
that there's another guy who we don't have. And then at trial, they could be like, well, maybe he's not the only guy. Maybe he was coerced into this. Maybe he was, they would give, it would give some wiggle room to the defense. So they just went, fuck it. We won't go get that guy who was also involved in murdering babies, you know, like, and that's, still so bad like that's still that's and that's the best case scenario and that's still really bad that that's what all of these people many of whom who are still in power would have decided to do all right guys let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show which is sheath underwear the underwear of legends guys if you're looking for comfort quality you got to go check out sheath underwear, the best pair of underwear you will ever own. I am a sheath underwear man, as everybody knows. It's the only underwear I wear. Sheath underwear boxer briefs. I'm wearing them every time you see me, every time you hear me, every time you think of me. I'm in a pair of sheath underwear. They're high quality, really good boxer briefs. If you're out there like I used to be buying six packs of Hanes or whatever, you got to get your life together. You got to go to sheathunderwear.com. There's the best underwear you will ever own. Also, they've been advertising on this podcast for over three years now. So just support the show that supports this podcast. They keep us going. And I'm telling you, this product is something you're going to love. As soon as you put on a pair of sheath underwear, you're going to be like, wow, this is a high quality pair of boxer briefs. You're going to thank me for this recommendation. Go to sheathunderwear.com, support a loyal sponsor of this podcast, and get the best pair of boxer briefs you'll ever own. And when you go to sheathunderwear.com, if you use the promo code PROBLEM20, you'll also get 20% off your next order. Sheathunderwear.com, promo code PROBLEM20 for 20% off your next order. All right, let's get back into the show. You brought up a media, and that sparked a good story I think you'd like. Um, this goes to, to the surveillance tapes. There were over 20 surveillance tapes. These are things that have been re- revealed through, through FBI documents. I believe it was through FOIA requests. Um, there was over 20, uh, and it was also, I believe, revealed by Danny Colson, who is a former FBI. I forget what role he had, but it was high up. Uh, but... There was over 20 surveillance tapes. Uh, they all obviously all got taken by the, the feds uh, and you know magically disappeared. I think their official re- uh, story is something along the lines of we lost them or some nonsense like that. Uh, it, it's confirmed that at least two of these ones uh, were actually able to witness the bombing itself and the like the kind of truck uh, like that had that view. And there was later, uh, there are there are documents that show, uh, once again, go to go to libertarianinstitute.org, uh, go check out their OKC archive. You can literally go to the search bar, they, then type in uh, surveillance tapes or whatever, and it'll bring up your stuff. But look into it. There, uh, there was, there are documents, this 100% happened. There was an FBI agent who went to, I want to say it was Dateline NBC, and brought them one of the surveillance tapes. So somehow, I don't know if they took it from the M- uh, evidence locker or whatever, and they were offering them uh, the surveillance tapes uh, with uh, uh, for a million dollars. I think it was like $1.1 million or something. And lo and behold, Dateline NBC had an informant in there and let them know, and that got nixed real quick. And these are things that we, we know of, uh, and, and also I believe in the documents, you can see that, uh, it did say in there that, that you could see the, uh, people getting out of the truck in that surveillance tape and two people getting out of it. So that would confirm your John Doe too. 
so they, <laughs> there's another one. You know, there's your media angle. Uh, the media was corrupt then, and it was infiltrated then. I mean, you look at Operation Mockingbird, which is an, a thing that was declassified, 100% thing. They, they have been infiltrated forever. If anything, they've gotten they've gotten worse because now they don't even hide it. If anything, they brag about it. You have people like John Brennan who are it's their that's their credentials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. But it is important to know that. So I didn't know that aspect of the story. And that really is something. But it shows you. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, this. This was always the game that the media is there to kind of protect the elite. And as we we talked about, uh, you know, back in our, our episode about Rothbard and anatomy of the state, this is kind of how, you know, something that he recognized decades and decades ago. But the intellectual class, the media class, all of them, they're kind of there to serve the powerful interests. And so that's yeah, this was this was happening even when you were a little kid. It's not something new. Um, OK, so let's uh, get into the another aspect which you touched on before. The there's some suicides around this there's event <laughs> that, yeah, that uh, really are are uh, pretty crazy. Um, so uh, I guess uh, let's start with Terrence Yiki because that's the one that you uh, you know, you wore the shirt on Tim Pool's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. show um, ab- about. So let's get into that story. Yeah, get the shirt at toplobster.com. Uh, but anyways, um, <laughs> uh, and then also go to merchengine.com. There you go. Let's plug yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, Terrence Hiki, he was one of the first responders who showed up. Uh, he saved something like over four people. Uh, I believe he fell through like a floor or two, uh, injured his back, ended up in the hospital. Uh, his and he was a cop, right? Yes, he was, was a cop. Yep, he, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. So he was he acted as a first responder in yes. that, uh, on that day, right? Yes, he was. Uh, you know, he, this may uh, irritate some of our ANCAP audience, but he was a good cop. Uh, and the irony here is, a lot of times you'll hear people say stuff like, "The only good cop's a dead cop," and well, okay, this one's dead, so that should tell you something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, so even by ANCAP logic, he's a good cop. He's the, yes, <laughs> exactly. He genuinely seemed like he's trying to do the right thing. Uh, but yeah, his uh, ex-wife uh, Tanya Yiki, the mother of his two kids. He had two daughters. Uh, they were both, I believe, like under five. Um, you know, she picked him up from it. He some, seemed shaken up. I believe at some point that might have been during there or later. Uh, she, he said something to her along the lines of it's not what they're telling you. Uh, he that is one thing with the story. He is he was very he never explicitly said stuff, but it, it seemed to be he was trying to protect people, which I can understand. Yes. If can, you know, can we just say one thing, by the way, which I, I probably should have mentioned before, um, like leading into the story. I'm sorry to cut you off. Is that. Another aspect of the story is that all day as it was happening, it was live reported on the news that there were many other explosives found inside the building. Yes. And this was and and this isn't just like, oh, someone said it. It's not like 9-11 where there's like, oh, I got a firefighter here who's like, hey, yo, I heard something else bang inside the building. Not to downplay that, but that's kind of like what you have for 9-11. We're talking about. There was there were hundreds of people who died and the building is if you ever see the pictures of OK, uh, OK, see the building is like, you know, there's a big crater like a quarter of the building down and there's this big search uh, uh, rescue operation going on and they were all pulled back several mm-hmm. times. Like as they're searching for the bodies of dead children or, or perhaps living children, 
they're pulled back over and over again because there are these reports of bombs inside the building. And so like that's that's a whole nother aspect of this that and there's many avenues to go down from that. But anyway, back to the story of, of this cop, Terrence, he was talking about that, too, that he was a part of this search effort as they're constantly being pulled back. In fact, there's firsthand accounts of people who were like helping a dying person under the rubble and then had to leave them. And and come back to not you know they're dead now or whatever. So there's anyway. I just thought that should be that should be mentioned. But yeah, I, I believe in that uh, CNN article by the uh, uh, you know Thomas Lake, which magically is one of the good ones. I guess it somehow got over there because it was actually at a good article. This. Yeah, at least on this. Uh, but he, I believe it's in that article. He talks about that uh, goes into a little bit of that stuff. And I think you know Terrence actually did have to you know come back at one point because of that reason. And and uh, I think there was some person he was about to save. Uh, left and then end up coming back and save them something along those lines i might be remember that wrong but yeah that would definitely be something that tipped them off like hey what the heck now for explanations of that like uh this is scott horn may have discussed this with you i know he talks about this one a lot the the atf and this is stuff that i believe has basically been admitted it's actually i think in the okc museum uh someone showed me the okc bombing museum someone i think showed me a picture of this today um where it was the idea that they were storing uh, explosives and stuff in the ATF. And I, I vaguely remember some, some, someone somewhere saying that that was like improper, like they weren't supposed to do that, which, I mean, that kind of seems like common logic that you shouldn't be storing like, like tow missiles and stuff in a, in a building with like civilian, like you'd think you'd have a storage location or something for that kind of stuff. Uh, seems a weird place to hold it. So uh, I know, I don't think this makes it really any better, uh, you know, that that's the case. Uh, and that could also probably account because there were, um, there were accounts of people that said stuff like they thought there were like secondary explosions and stuff. So that could account for it. Cause if you had an ordinance in there and a bomb goes off, that would obviously could trigger off secondary explosions. So that could explain it. Now there are also on the other side of things, there are actually legit uh, eyewitness reports. I think there were two, I want to say there were two women that said they saw someone, I, you know, I don't know if it was days or like a week prior, they saw someone in like a, you know, setting on like pillars that kind of looked like they had like kind of sort of construction or you know looking type stuff on. And they were like setting what looked like charges on columns. You know, do with that what you will. Uh, I think the the they were. I don't think there's anything that's really you know taps at their credibility. But I don't. Two eyewitnesses. Do with that what you will. I mean, you could. Uh, I t- we most of us people that seem to get in this uh, or they're trying to be honest tend to stray away from that because once you go into like the bombing stuff, that's when people start flagging you some kook. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I'm like, open well, look, to either, I mean, the range, <laughs> the range is from there were other bombs inside the building that were a part of the coordinated att- attack. Okay. If that makes you a kook, then like fine. And, and to be fair, like, yeah, we don't have like real proof that that's what happened. Um, but the, the other end of the range is that, oh no, what really happened was that the ATF who, by the way, miraculously, none of them were hurt. Uh, in this event that they had other, you know, weapons that they weren't supposed to have in the building. And so they faked these calls to, to halt the rescue operation so they could get them out. And in the process, let God knows how many innocent people die. You know what I mean? Like, so you're like, "Eh." even at the, even at the not kook range of this explanation (laughs) is still like really horrific. And then what's, what would be the official story? The official story of it is like, you're like, well, why did the rescue operation get halted several times because of reports of bombs inside the building? And their their explanation is, ah, that didn't really happen. Hey, yeah, it was just a mistake. 
just like, yeah, like the other, just like John Doe too. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, yeah. it didn't really exist. Turns out everyone yeah. hallucinated. Yeah. I saw it. Like I was mentioning the OKC bombing museum thing. This, this kind of irritated me. They, there was pictures. I had someone sending me like pictures from the OKC bombing memorial museum or whatever. And you, there are pictures of them, like kind of handling the ordinance that like that stuff. And they are literally in like, I think they had flak helmets on and then just normal gear. Aside from that, there were dudes in like windbreaker, ATF windbreaker jackets and like jeans. And, and they, and that is how they're handling this stuff, which you would think you'd be in full bomb. Like if this is something you're that concerned about, you're willing to call off rescue efforts and you're just chilling in like jeans and a windbreaker. Like, man, <laughs> like really, if this is how much, how serious you're taking it, why can't we continue rescue efforts? Like, I, I know. I mean, uh, maybe it's uh, some technicality, some bureaucratic nonsense. Uh, either way, it's it's I, I don't know that that I don't know. But anyways, that is one possibility of like what set what pinged for uh, Yiki. Uh, you know, um, uh, there's also there's things to suggest maybe he may have gotten his hands on. Although this is kind of loose, he may have gotten his hands on the surveillance videos. Possibly that's one angle, which then you'll see John Doe too. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else, but essentially he, oh yeah, uh, the, the main thing, which he actually said in a letter, this is uh, to a letter, his friend Ramona, this is like, you can find, there's a great Hoffman article, uh, I believe Dave Hoffman uh, wrote about it, uh, and I believe you can find that at Libertarian Institute if you type it up, uh, but um, in that article, they're going on about how he w- found it extremely suspect that with him being one of the first responders there, he got there and they, when he got there, the ATF was already there in full riot gear. And he's like, and he was one of the first people, if not the first people. I've heard some people say first. I don't know uh, if it's one of the first, the first. Either way, the idea that the ATF could beat him in full riot gear, uh, you know, when they weren't there that mor- morning, uh, what is going on? I-, I don't know. So I think there was a lot to suggest. Obviously, we're kind of conjecturing what does he possibly know. I don't know. Either way, he wasn't buying the official narrative. Uh, there was lots to suggest. I believe this is in the letter as well, where he had a, like a six-page report that he wrote up for his office, and he had a back-and-forth fight with his higher-ups where they want him to take out a bunch of stuff, uh, reduce the amount of pages. Uh, this became a whole thing. Uh, essentially, this all, also, he with his ex-wife, Tanya Yiki, he was begging her to remarry him. Uh, despite him already having another girlfriend, because he w- his reasoning was, in case anything ever happens to me, I want you to be able to receive the life insurance money. Uh, right. he, there were a lot of people reporting that he seemed very shook up uh, during or, you know, around that time. There were things like Tanya Yiki, his ex-wife, was like, uh, I think she reported something like eight to ten times there were like nails in her tires were, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on, a lot of weird stuff. When you dig into it, I mean, there, there's even more. But ultimately, he ends up, uh, you know, he ends up they dead. Uh, people they find at one point they find his uh, they find his uh, car covered in blood. Uh, the the seats are ripped up. There looks like there's burn mats on the floor. Uh, the doors are locked, and you know that flags people. Um, you know to start looking for. You know, obviously, you find a car covered in blood. What's going on? They, they start looking around for him and eventually they find him and it, it's the lowest estimates a half mile. The highest is a mile and a half. They find the body a, a, away from the car. Uh, he had lost two pints of blood. Uh, he had slash marks all over his wrist. His throat was cut. 
Uh, he had what looked like, hand, uh, you know, rope burns on his body. Looked like, uh, you know, he had handcuff marks on him. Uh, there was dirt and, and grass in the wounds, which would be highly suggestive of dragging a body. Uh, there was a bullet wound to the head, which is at an odd angle. It was an upward angle like this, uh, you know, which, I mean, who the hell is going to shoot themselves like that? It also wasn't point blank because you can tell by the gunshot residue and the mark that it left that, you, that like, it wasn't point blank. It had to be slightly from a distance. I'm not saying it was from, like, super far away, but far enough that there wouldn't be any gunshot residue, like any major gunshot residue. Uh, and, you know, at an upward angle, Yiki was a big guy. He was a corn-fed looking dude. Uh, yeah. He was like over six feet tall, built like a, like a probably like a tight end, like uh, not like fat, but like he was corn-fed. You know, he, he's a big dude. Uh, so that probably is an odd angle for him to do after already losing two pints of blood. Um, the first right. cop that should, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, it's like <laughs> the idea after the whole official story where this John Doe 2 that every single witness saw didn't happen and every single ATF uh, agent was able to avoid being uh, hurt or killed in this blast. And then you have this guy who who kills the guy who was saying like one of the first responders, this sergeant there who's like, yeah, none of this adds up. And then he kills himself by slicing his wrists slicing his neck dragging himself through the grass and then shooting himself in the back of the head like that's his method of suicide you just go i don't know man this story and this is such a big story again pre 9 11 what's what's labeled as the biggest domestic terrorist attack in american history this is your story this is the official narrative and it really is this is the official narrative that yep i guess that's how he killed himself Yep. Like, no, he, uh, hmm. I believe it was Mike Ramsey, which was a deputy sheriff of the uh, Canadian County uh, Police. Uh, so they were outside of his his uh, his police department out of their jurisdiction, the OKCPD uh, or actually no OKPD, whatever. I, I don't know. The Oklahoma City Police Department. Uh, I don't know what the, the letters are that go with it. it. Threw me off. But anyways, he uh, the Mike Ramsey shows up. From, obviously, like I said, he's from a different department. He immediately flags like for a murder investigator to come in. But then all of a sudden swoops in his department and they decide to take over the, the uh, take over it and they rule it the suicide immediately. Another thing to note is there was no gun found at it until a gun showed up once the, his police department showed up. Oh, you know, kind of one of those things like, oh, what did you just throw a gun on the ground? Oh, there it is. <laughs> like, uh, you know, one of those type of deals, uh, which you, if you shot yourself in the head, it's not like you're going to have a lot of time to dispose of your gun. So, you know, think about that. Like if you killed yourself, the gun's going to be you know within five feet of you <laughs> right you right. know it, it's gonna be nearby um and so they ruled it a suicide immediately uh yeah and that's uh he also i believe there were like bruises and other marks in his body uh it's it's a wild story <laughs> he ended up that way um they also there were, i believe there's no autopsy uh, uh you know conducted uh, they, yeah, was, I think yeah. I believe the story is that the his police department, the Oklahoma City uh, um, Police Department, took uh, possession of the body, yep. even though it was found outside of their like jurisdiction, which is not like the standard protocol. And then even though the family wanted an autopsy, they didn't have one. There was a lot of like shady things around that, if I'm if yeah. I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. 
I mean, to be fair on the jurisdiction thing, I've heard some people explain that, like, I guess sometimes larger police departments will take over from smaller police departments because they have more resources. But that logic doesn't really check out when you didn't utilize any of your resources. So, like, there was, like, basically almost nothing done. They returned the car to the family with the next day covered in blood. The family found a uh, a bloody knife under stash under the glove compartment. Uh, Like, this is a kind of, like, how they... I mean, like... Whether they did that intentionally or not, that just is so disrespectful to the family uh, that they had to deal with that. They, you know, the family kept pursuing it for a long time. Nothing. They they had a lot of harassment. The 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 family kind of dropped it. Tanya kept it going. His ex wife. Uh, you know, there's actually a radio interview that if if you go, I mean, I don't know the exact link or how to get to it, but I I put it in the video description for part seven of my OKC series. If you want to go check it out, I highly suggest that's a great piece. She gives a whole full radio interview, uh, kind of goes into a lot of good stuff. And the, 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 the amount of harassment she received before and after his death is astounding. And it's, it's disgusting. Uh, you know, her, at one point her brakes were cut. She actually got in an accident. She was going like 40 miles an hour. Uh, there had been a lot of stuff like tampering with her vehicle. Uh, it's, the story goes deep. It is. And this is, it's, it's one of those things that just sounds made up, but I'm telling you everyone out there, go look into it. It's not, it's, it's legit. They did rule a suicide and they tried to frame it in a way of that. He was despondent because, you know, they were broken up. They tried I guess at one point, I believe they had some sort of issues in their marriage at some point. I think she had a restraining order for a small period of time, but they never respected it is what it seems like. They, you know, had like, she was the one who picked him up from the hospital after the OKC bombing. They were interacting regularly. They had children together. They were getting along. Um, they actually tried to, this is, just bizarre but this did happen the day of before the body was discovered before they found the car they called tanya yiki and asked her to um to ref- uh, to file a uh, violation of the restraining order thing it's, it was a vpo i don't know the distinction but essentially a restraining order uh right but they they and she said absolutely not uh and th- so like it and then lo and behold after the fact they try to frame that when you know it kind of they're shaping the narrative. It's almost like this thing of like, they're trying to make it out like he was despondent over the combination of the Oklahoma city bombing. And, you know, uh, they're kind of trying to frame it as like his ex wife kind of being crazy and like maybe not being to see his kids. Whereas he's interacting with her regularly. They're getting along. She was, if anything, she was the greatest warrior for his cause after his death. And it's like kind of disgusting the way they framed this whole thing against her. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show. This is for responsible adults over the age of 21 living in states where Delta 8 is legal. I want to tell you about YoDelta.com, the official Delta 8 sponsor of the Gas Digital Network. Now, you guys have heard me talk about CBD in the past. Much like CBD, Delta 8 is naturally found in hemp and can be legally shipped to various states. But unlike CBD, this will get you high. This is not just something for other purposes. This is going to get you baked. And if you're looking to get baked, Delta8.com has gummies and vapes for all of your getting stoned needs. I can tell you, this Delta8 stuff, people are raving about it. Gas Digital Network is filled with a whole bunch of stoners, and they all love this stuff. So go over to YoDelta.com and grab some of the official Delta8 sponsor of the Gas Digital Network. And if you use the promo code GAS, that will get you 25% off your entire order. One more time, YoDelta.com. 
promo code gas for 25% off your entire order. Yo Delta, home of the official Delta 8 sponsor of the Gas Digital Network. All right, let's get back into the show. So, okay, so what's what is the other suicide that you've been talking about more recently? This one I I will confess I know a lot less about. So tell me about that. Kenneth Trenadu. Uh Kenneth Trenadu was a uh he did a little bit of time in the military during the Vietnam era. Uh, he ended up getting acquiring a heroin addiction during that, which I guess a lot of people kind of did during that little skirmish during that period of the military. I don't know if he's just being over there. I, I don't know the specifics of why he developed heroin addiction, mm-hmm. but he did. He tried to rob a bank to fund his addiction. It was kind of a bungled bank robbery. He ended up getting busted. Um, he did his time. Uh, he got out. He got his life back together. He had a wife. Uh, you know, he ended up having a small, you know, having a kid. Like was a newborn at the time, essentially. You know, very young. Uh, he, he was dealing with parole. He kind of blew off parole essentially because, uh, one of the conditions was that he wasn't able to drink and he had a brother, Jess, uh, uh, Jesse Trandu, who was a, you know, high powered lawyer, really good at what he did. He tried to get his brother to help him to kind of like fight that, like, uh, alcohol condition. And they tried to deal with that and it fell through. And then he was kind of like, dude, I'm going to drink. So I don't know, like, I guess come get me, like, kind of was the deal, like, and, and so, which I mean, whatever, he was a real ass dude, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, and then I guess at one point, his wife was Mexican, so they, I don't know the specifics of why, but he was coming back from Mexico at one point, and he got stopped at the border, uh, you know, for his parole violation, essentially, I don't know what flagged it, uh, and I'm, I, I brought the Me- his wife being Mexican, because I'm assuming it was probably like a family thing or something, you know, uh, and so he got busted. They they sent him to uh, they sent him to a federal transfer center in Oklahoma City. Um, he this this guy had the misfortune of in in, in some ways fitting the uh, fitting a lot of the bullet points of John Doe too. He you know had a similar build, similar facial structure. He had a similar tattoo because it was uh, thought that John Doe too may have had some sort of dragon tattoo on his arm. Kenneth Trandu, uh, Kenneth Trandu had like a dragon tattoo on his left forearm, which uh, a lot of people might instantly think, well, okay, if that's him, because tattoos are pretty distinct usually. This is like kind of like generic looking like 90s flash art dragon tattoo. So like it, it's right. not saying much, you know. Um, but he, uh, he also had the bank robbery on his record, which... Uh, anyone who's studied OKC knows there's a part of this story is that, it, you know, McVeigh and then some of his accomplices were kind of associated with this group of bank robbers, which later became known as the Aryan Republican Army. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were using they were, you know, conducting bank robberies to fund their domestic terrorism efforts, essentially. Um and so he kind of fit a lot of these different criteria of what John Doe 2 might be. And this guy ended up dead. Uh, according to their story, he said he looked like he they said what they told the family is that he hung himself in his in his uh, in his cell, which I forgot. I left out uh, his cell was in like kind of a, like a um, like a special security area, kind of like a one of those areas that like Jeffrey Epstein was kind of in and the federal transfer center. Like so this was like upscale jail in protective area like there was like videotapes there were log books all sorts of stuff it's basically supposed to be impossible to kill yourself there um so he tried to the according to him he hung himself um the the they uh, initially they uh the feds or whatever because it's a federal uh prison they they tried to they called the family and asked them if they wanted them to cremate the body they were like no 
Uh, then they tried to go to the medical examiner and say, hey, can we cremate this body? Like, can we forego it? And, let you? and the medical examiner was like, what? No. Like, that's the family. That's up to the family. Um, and then eventually over time, there was even a little bit of battle here. The family gets back the body. The body is returned to them. And if you go check out my article, uh, nowayjose2020.substack.com, uh, I believe. Uh, it's the only article there. I just dropped a couple days ago. I put pictures in there. You can see the state of the body. The family took pictures of the body because they were like, what the hell? We need to document this. You can see there's like bruises, scratches, uh, you know, cuts, what looks like burns. There were ligature marks on him uh, that don't look like something that would be from like a bed sheet. If you look at it, there's actually a photo of a close up on his neck and it looks like kind of the perfect indentations of like zip ties. So it looks like that's how they killed him with zip ties. And like, that's what did him, did him in. Um, so the family was obviously upset about it. Uh, the brother, they killed the wrong dude. They, they killed the wrong dude. They, they thought this guy was John Doe too. And I mean this in multiple ways when I say they killed the wrong, do- uh, wrong dude. Because this was, I mentioned earlier, this dude's brother was Jesse Trinidou, uh, who is a, was a, you know, a, a lawyer. He was a you know, former Marine. He's kind of, a, once again, another real ass dude. Uh, he was not having it. Like for him, his brother got killed and he was on the war path. He's literally to this day still dealing with uh, the courts and FOIA and has been doing it since then. Uh, he's actually responsible for a lot of the stuff that we have today. A lot of the FOIA stuff I mentioned before is due to him dealing with FOIA uh, lawsuits. Like, But uh, anyways, he, he essentially tried to go on uh, multiple fronts. He tried to attack this on a political front, on a, uh, on a FOIA front, on a civil front, and on a criminal front. He, attacked, he was basically attacking on all fronts mo- uh, all at once. He actually, on the civil side, he actually won a million dollars. I forget. Uh, I don't know if it was like for uh, suffering of the family or emotional suffering or something. I forget the specifics of why they did it. But essentially, the, they they did themselves in by that, by financing him. So then they gave him the money to be able to continue this fight for basically forever. Um, but on the criminal side, he one of the things, too, there are other suicides that are connected with this suicide. And we'll get into that. Or other deaths. Not all of them were technically considered suicides. There were two uh, cellmates that were near him that claimed that they heard what sounded like screams and stuff like, and things that sounded like torture coming from his cell. And he and both of them were willing to testify. One of them ended up uh, ruled a suicide. Uh, one of them ended up ruled the drug overdose. Isn't that convenient? Um, and then on top of that, there was another individual, um, uh, Norman Pearl, who was a, the expert videographer that they used in the, in the uh, Rodney King trials. He, um, he was actually, according to, this is how like Jesse Trinidou tells it. I, I was struggled to find sources for elsewhere. But according to Jesse Trinidou, who I trust personally, uh, you know, when you look at his story. But according to him, Norman Pearl came to him and told him that the FBI came to him and essentially wanted his professional opinion on the, the aspect of that uh, that the cameras did not pick up what happened that night and at, wanted him this professional opinion if there was any way this could have been essentially anything other than manually done by like a person. And Norman Pearl, and they, they were insistent that they didn't want a written report, they wanted an oral report. And he, he told them, no, there's no way, this had to be done manually. And essentially the feds were like, well, okay, that's it. Don't talk to anybody about this. He came to Jesse Trendu and told him, I'm willing to testify. He also ended up dying. To be fair, he died. He was reported a heart attack, which, I mean, I don't know. I'm even like kind of suspicious enough where, I don't know. I don't know. It's awfully convenient. I, I mean, to be fair, the one guy could have killed himself. The one guy could have actually been legitimately like overdosed. This guy could have legitimately had a heart attack. But you get to a point where like, 
why the fuck are all the witnesses why are dying? all of them dying yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean that and that's kind of like i guess that's the the some of the pertinent stuff there i mean there's more to go into that there's a lot of stuff in like the the i mean because jesse's been fighting this fight forever he's dealt with many uh, court battles with the the essentially the fbi i mean they, they were literally at one point the feds uh, were caught you know committing perjury and their literal legal defense was it is within our authority to do so <laughs> like it, it goes deep when you start digging into especially the different court cases there there's so much to look into and it, it it's like uh the uh, the guards that were on uh that were on station they were caught perjuring uh you know essentially with their story of what happened uh jesse tried to uh, pursue that and i forget exactly what happened but essentially the courts wouldn't let him they they essentially sealed it or i forget the specific terms legally speaking of what what did that entail but essentially they wouldn't let it happen which was insane. Like, wh what do you mean? Like, these guys just perjured. Like, this should be like, I should be able to pursue this and reattack. And nope, 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 nope. We're dropping that. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, there, there, that is, uh, there's, a, yes. Once you start digging to the people who died, it is, it is, <laughs> and there's still so much more to this whole story. It, it is just insane. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is YoKratom.com, home of the $60 kilo. If you are over the age of 21 and you are a fan of Kratom, go check out YoKratom.com. If you're not over the age of 21 and you're not a fan of Kratom, just ignore this. Don't even worry about it. We're talking to those other people, but you other people who I'm talking to, Go check out YoKratom.com, a, a longtime sponsor of this podcast and everything we do here at Gas Digital Network. If you like Kratom, it's a no-brainer. You got to go to YoKratom.com. It's lab-tested, high-quality stuff. It's delivered right to your door. You don't have to go to a gas station to find it, and it's the best price you're ever going to find for Kratom, $60 for a kilo. YoKratom.com, home of the $60 kilo. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay, from there, kind of zoom out mm -hmm. and we go, okay, so what is what what can we kind of like grasp as the overarching story here? And a big part of it is that, okay, so Timothy McVeigh, for people who don't know, was essentially like a neo-Nazi type mm -hmm. guy. I think he had fought in uh, George H.W. Bush's war in Desert a, yeah, in Desert Storm, the, the first war in Iraq, which was a great success. Um, you know, it's a great success. We won the war quick and easy, except we're still there today. Um, but so he had fought in that war and eventually been turned against his own government, kind of joined like the, this real neo-Nazi like militia type group. And that it seems like those guys had carried out this attack. The thing that gets tricky is that if you could imagine, right, like with anything, and to connect it almost to today's story, with anything, if there's like a Trump march or a Unite the Right rally or, you know, January 6th or like anything like that, as we all kind of know today, it's like, well, you have a mix of, yeah, okay, there are like right wingers, there might be even some like kind of like neo-fascist types, and then there's also feds because they've all been infiltrated. And so he's a part, like, I think the overarching story is that he's a part of this neo-Nazi militia. They've clearly been infiltrated to some degree by the feds. Now, whether that means that there's informants or that means that there's direct actual agent provocateurs, fed, you know, type actors, either way, this happens. The ATF clearly has some advanced knowledge about it, right? 
Yes. And so they're they're out of the way of this and they're sweeping for bombs beforehand. And then ultimately the details of this are completely covered up. Like what more like if you're just like zooming out saying the broad, you know, kind of strokes of this, is there anything else that should be added to that or what do you think? Uh, there there are feds of every flavor. I'll I'll go through a few real quick. I think I can do this pretty sure. well. ATF, Carol Howe. All right, Carol Howe was an informant who uh, cased the Murrah building with uh, Dennis Mahon and Andrea Strassmeyer, I believe, three times. Uh, she reported it back to the ATF, uh, kind of like, hey, what the hell? Like, they're kind of wanting to bomb. The, the, there's something going on here. That got squashed. So there's your ATF angle. Uh, they kind of stopped pursuing that. Now, Andrea Strassmeyer, that other guy I just mentioned, these are people connected with Elohim City, the ARA, those type of people, the the uh, the right – the Aryans, essentially, that we were kind of referring to, the, the, the loose group of individuals McVeigh was kind of hang, hanging out with. Andreas Strassmeyer was a German national. He, uh, he, uh, he was in the German military. He was the son of a high-powered politician. He was in the German military. He was in counter, uh, counterintelligence. He actually did some time helping, uh, like a small stint in Israel, working with the IDF. Uh, kind of like it looked like kind of like a cross training thing. A lot of people like to jump to conclusions about like Israel with that one, and you kind of get some weird like Jew stuff there. A lot of people get crazy about, uh, but you know whatever, what have you? I, I think that's not as strong of a connection as a lot of people make it out to be. But whatever, it's there. Do that what you will. Uh, but um, he was fluent in German, fluent in, in uh, Hebrew. He was fluent in English. He then comes to the United States. He first gets uh, lives with this guy named Vincent Petrusky, who was a CIA uh, former CIA agent. Um, right. He was. He was in Operation Phoenix in Vietnam, which was essentially like Northwoods type stuff in Vietnam. They were ginning up uh, uh, hatred against the Viet Cong by conducting, uh, you know, assassinations, uh, killing, stuff like that. And he's uh, on record at some point saying something along the lines of kind of like, I'd like to get the gang back together and kind of do something like that here. Like, and then he ends up being with this, uh, this Andrea Strassmeyer character. Do with that what you will. Then he goes from living with this Vincent Petrusky guy. He moves uh, to... Dave Holloway, I'm, I, I might have the, last, the first name wrong, but the last name's right, Holloway, uh, who is another former CIA agent. This guy actually literally has it in his LinkedIn profile, so uh, <laughs> it doesn't take much to figure that one out. Uh, this Holloway character, he had created this infantry called the Texas Light Infantry. He kind of brought in uh, Strassmeyer into the fold there. Uh, Strassmeyer actually gets kicked out of that uh, one because he was uh, suspected by the inf- uh, the by that militia being a uh, provocateur because they saw him going to a federal building and literally using the keypad. <laughs> so I, I don't do that what you will. Uh, so there's kind of loose CIA uh, connection. Yeah, Dave Holloway. Yeah, he's right. Put in the... Thanks, Brian. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's your kind of sort of CIA connections. I think he may have kind of, my suspicion is he may have actually ended up falling in with the FBI because there was something with Vincent Petrusky about where he was kind of trying to help him make it uh, put like submit like pack job packages to different agencies. So I think he may have, I think it looks like he may have gotten served in the FBI type thing. And maybe he was also kind of working for the CIA, right. kind of like, you know, an agent within an agent kind of deal. <laughs> uh, right. But I don't know. It's hard to tell what's what. He was also receiving like a two thousand dollar a month stipend from Holloway. Um, uh, and now I guess I can go to FBI uh, to kind of tie that in. There is another individual named uh, Roger Moore, which this is uh, how like the official narrative of how they kind of acquired some of the funds to conduct the uh, the bombing. This was an individual who was you know split booths uh, at gun shows with. Uh, 
with uh, Timothy McVeigh. They were kind of like buddies, essentially. And uh, Timothy McVeigh got Terry Nichols to go rob him. Uh, and, uh, you know, Nichols made a point about like saying how like McVeigh was like Nichols, by the way, for everyone who doesn't know, is the official other, you know, partner in in the crime, right? Which kind of, like, if anything, he's probably, Nichols is probably one of the most, like, sympathetic character in the one, because he legitimately looks like, like he kind of got in over his head, and there's a lot of, like, coercion and stuff, and was just kind of like a normal dude that got him way over his head to some extent, but uh, it was like, I can't get out because my whole family will be killed type deal, but anyways, uh, you know, I mean, still, don't get me wrong, it's still bad, like, not not good, but... um, uh, this Roger Moore character, they con- conducted a robbery, quote unquote robbery. It's kind of like, hey, they, uh, they were, yeah, there you go. Um, but he, uh, yeah, let's see, there you go. The, the fabricating the firearms robbery. It, the, the insurance investigator who followed up on it thought it was nonsense. The cop who followed up on it thought it was nonsense. But, you know, whatever, it stuck. He was later on quoted uh, on, I forget, I can't remember the name of the reporter, but, you know, the, in, like some journalist got him, quoted him. This was kind of in the context of talking about Oklahoma City bombing. And he's like, whatever they had me doing for the FBI was fucked up because uh, they blew my cover or something along those lines. I may have fucked up the uh, quote, but that is roughly the quote. Uh, I know right. he said fucked up for sure. But <laughs> So there you go. Like I just gave you a quick rundown and like obviously that's like the quickest rundown I could possibly do. And even that was kind of lengthy of FBI, CIA, ATF, kind of loose associations. The CIA gets a little bit more loose. So, I mean, do that what you will. I'm not saying necessarily they perpetrated it. I, I don't know. It's like, especially yeah. once you start getting like I think the best way when me and Booth are talking about it once, it's like. The best way to explain the Oklahoma bombing is the ATF, the FBI, and the CIA walk into a bar, and the people serving the drinks are the Aryans. <laughs> right. I, and I don't know. <laughs> Another thing, because I try, I, I try on the show, uh, you know, to kind of like talk about like these, kind of like the bigger narratives in the best way that I, I possibly can. And it's easy to be sloppy when you talk about these like grand narratives, but I try to do this in in the most effective way that I can. But like, keep in mind, okay. That this is, so we're talking about 1995. This is two years after the, um, another event that's completely papered over in modern history, which was the first World Trade Center bombing, mm-hmm. okay? Which we know was an FBI infiltrated event. That we're, like, th- this, is no, this is not even like uh, debated at this point. Washington Post, New York Times, everyone will admit this, that the FBI basically had they had prior knowledge that this bombing was going to happen and they basically lost track of the guys or they got called off you know like uh, detailing them and then they, they ended up blowing it up and they were the the not the uh first the the uh, world trade center bombing was designed to like take out like a load bearing uh like pillar or whatever and it was would could have killed tens of thousands of people ended up only killing a few people. Um, but regardless of that, that, you know, like this was, if you think about how like the Soviet union had collapsed in 1991, and then all of a sudden you have these series of events that are almost like designed to create this next enemy that will be the justification for the government cracking down on this next enemy. It does at least make you wonder like, Oh, okay. Now I'm not saying that all of these things were created to be that, but it is certainly the case that there was government involvement 
these events ended up happening and then they were manipulated in order you know to to continue that narrative and so you just see and this is something that you know like to as we close here to take it back to what you were saying at the beginning to connect this to kind of like current events you see how they they will use these events to then go oh okay and this is why we need to have some policy about cracking down on this group of people and of course even after the oklahoma city bombing the the message wasn't like oh look okay even neo-nazi groups are a party are a problem it was every right-wing militia is every everyone who's you know to the right of the most conservative member of congress basically represents a threat to our democracy that was literally the line that they would use back then. And I'm not saying that they plan. I don't have enough evidence to conclusively say that they planned it in order to do that. But I certainly I think we have enough evidence to say they were involved in it happening. And then when it happened, they were like, OK, we're going to use this as the narrative to like why this is a real problem and why, you know, Waco, which was, I, I guess, like part of the the motivation for. Oklahoma City was like a revenge about what happened in Waco. They went, well, here's why you can't even feel bad about Waco. Here's why, you know, it's like, well, this is why the feds have to crack down on these militia groups because look what they'll do. Like this yeah. post hoc justification for Waco. Yeah. Scott Horn's been great about that. Like that's his main point. A lot of times when he talks about this is that this essentially, whether they whether this was a narrative they did intentionally or if it was like an after the fact thing, they did, you know, they took what was this like, like strong militia movement that was forming at a time yeah. in kind of like in spite of their, you know, Ruby Ridge and Waco kind of the aftermath of that, that all that did was bolster the militia movement. And this took it and kind of just completely discredited the entire militia movement uh, through that act. So McVeigh was actually, yeah, at Waco. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another point. Really blanked it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, it, it. It's a shame in a way because there's almost like, as you could see, let's say through the last few years, you can see why they really wouldn't want a, like small decentralized movement of armed Americans who are like, we're not going to stand for federal tyranny. Yeah. And you could kind of see how like, yeah, you know, for people who believe in liberty, I don't know if we necessarily agree with that assessment that that's something we don't want. So, yeah, it's a wild story, man. And it's just so apparent that the official version of it is complete bullshit. So, all right, listen, dude, I know we had to reschedule this a couple of times, but I'm really so glad that you came on and, and did this with me. And I'm glad to have you on part of the problem. Uh, you've had me on your show several times. I'm, I'm sure I'll be back on yours and I'm happy to have you back on this. Is there anything else you want to like just end with or, or any final comments? Oh God, there's so much. And there were so many different things. Like when you say this, I'm like, oh, sparks that. And it's like, I don't know. I, to save you another like 20 minute, like diatribe against the feds, uh, you know, cause I think once I start, once I, once you tug on one thread, you just keep on. <laughs> yeah. you know? So uh, I guess for that sake, I would just suggest people go check out my OKC series. Uh, you know, can also go check out, Aber uh, if you want to read a book, uh, Aberration in the Heartland of the Real by Wendy Painting. There was also a great book by uh, uh, Roger Charles, uh, you know, uh, Oklahoma City, uh, what they missed or so something along with what the investigation missed. I forget the specific ones, uh, specific name, but th those are both great books. Those are probably the two best books on the topic. Um, 
the the Roger Charles ones on audiobook if you pr- prefer audio. Uh, so yeah, I, I just gave you books, audio books, gave you uh, podcasts, and uh, go go look into it. Uh, I can't really think of any other resources for people if you're trying to look into OKC. Well, I've done my head, but aside from Libertarian Institute, uh, the OKC archive, you can just type in whatever angle you want to look into, and boom. There's a lot of threads to pull on this one, and make sure uh, send Brian the um, the link to your your series on this, and we'll put it in the the description for the episode so people can go check that out. And where can people check you out? Your show is uh, No Way Jose, of course. What else? Yep. Uh, yeah, I have the No Way Jose show. It's on YouTube. All the major art packages, Aussie as well. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Terragang Jose. Uh, also, yeah, the Tower Gang Show, which is offensive Ooh. comedy, which is a uh, if you like uh, Legion of Skanks, but you know, like a lower production value and jokes <laughs> that don't hit as much, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that the, we're, we're the ones for you. Uh, but yeah, uh, go check that out. That has me, Reed, uh, well, I guess not Reed hardly ever shows up, me, Clint Russell, uh, Fat Dave, <laughs> uh, Toad, and Top Lobster. We're all on that show. We, we have a lot of fun. Uh, trying to think. I, I yeah, I have that Substack article that I just did. Uh, no way, Jose. Twenty twenty. Substack.com. Uh, I really can't think of anything else. I'm, it was a pleasure to be on. It, it was great to finally be able to be on your show and actually be able to bring something. Uh, you know that I care about. That uh, I think it matters. Uh, like greatly in this current paradigm. Yeah, I, I look, dude. I I really appreciate you coming on, and obviously, like you've really dug into this issue, and I agree with you. It really does matter. It doesn't just matter because like those people who like the people who were killed and the people who were suicided or whatever, like that their story ought to be told. But it also matters as you as you kind of touched on several times because it kind of like it really does apply to everything that's going on and really kind of let you know what what we're up against. Um, so look, dude, thank you so much for, for doing this show. I apologize. I, we, we've been this week, I've pushed this back like a few times. And one of them was because I'm just absolutely retarded. And I booked it on a day where I was out of town. And then my daughter got strep throat the other day. She's doing much better now. But so then I had to push it back again. But uh, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and making this happen. Uh, Jose Gallison, I love you, brother. Very good to talk to you, man. And we'll talk again soon. I love you, too. (laughs) 